0: This week, Simon shares how a simple comment in his childhood led to a 30 year struggle of living with OCD, depression, anxiety, and alcohol abuse. Simon tells me about how therapy and mindfulness has helped him change his mindset from survivor to thriver. This episode includes discussions about mental health issues, suicidal ideation, and alcohol addiction. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Ashanka, and you're listening to That Was the Moment. I took off my mask and allowed the world to really see me. My guest today is Simon Wren, the founder of Mindful Men, a therapy practice dedicated to supporting men with mental illness and disability. Simon is a loving husband and father of two, mental health advocate and social worker. Simon's passion for mental health comes from living with obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, anxiety, burnout throughout the last 30 years. And he shares his story of how he changed his mindset from survivor to thriver. Um, Welcome, Simon. Thank you so much for um, giving me your time.
1: Dushanka, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and have a chat about all things mental health.
0: Oh, amazing. Um, So why don't you start with what life was like before the moment?
1: Before the moment? So many moments over my 40 year journey, and I'll try to condense them for you so that the (laughs) listeners stay engaged. But my first moment of, I guess to start with, my life is one of mental health, mental health challenges. And what that means is obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, anxiety, I've also experienced burnout in 2020 as well. And it all started as an eight-year-old in the schoolyard. And I remember another student saying to me, Simon, if you stop using your voice for more than a minute, you're going to lose your voice forever. And most people would just hear that, laugh it off, and move on with their lives. But for me, my OCD brain kicked into gear. This was something that triggered something inside of me that says, whoa, this is danger. And so what it did is I was you know, petrified of losing my voice. And so in order to alleviate the anxiety that come with that fear of losing my voice, I would perform a compulsive act or a compulsion, which was humming to myself. So I do like this little hmm, hmm, hmm every minute just to check that my voice was still working. And so this lasted for about one to two years of me doing this excessively all day, every day and nobody ever said anything so i don't know if anyone ever knew i was doing it but i must have been really good at masking that aspect of me Mm -hmm. and i also didn't know how to talk about it i'm like i'm doing this thing like i'm not sure what's going on i get a lot of anxiety when i think about not using my voice but i didn't know how to talk about it this is you know i'm talking about the early 90s here as well and so Mm -hmm. during that period nobody talked about mental health and i didn't know this was a mental health thing i just thought it was a peculiar little quirk that I developed at school. And then you fast forward a few years to around 13, 14, And my parents separated and I, my, me and my little brother went with my mum, and we lived with my mum. And in those days, there was this big thing where I grew up about there being a man of the house. And so as the oldest male in the house that fell on my shoulders, and it wasn't mum putting it on my shoulders, it was me almost putting it on my own shoulders. And so I felt this overwhelming need to protect And every night without failure, I would spend three to four hours checking windows, doors, um, curtains were drawn so that nobody could see inside. And the reason I was doing these behaviors was because I was petrified about someone breaking in, stealing our stuff, kidnapping us, murdering us, you name it. I was absolutely petrified of it and so i would do this routinely for several hours and it would also move into things like checking that the stove was off and the iron was off because i was also petrified of the house burning down while we were sleeping and this is where ocd really ramped up and a lot of people that talk think about ocd they think it's just people that like things neat and tidy or they like to wash their hands this is not OCD for me. And so it was very debilitating to a point where I started to want to take my own life. And I remember getting into bed after hours of doing this all night, every night, exhausted from the school day, because I'd also do things at school around checking behaviors as well, is I'd I'd go to bed and I just not want to wake up. I'm like, I'm done with this. I can't. No matter how much I think about it, I can't get it out of my head. No matter, no matter how much I do things like with my behaviors, I can't get it out of my head. It just cycled and cycled and cycled around. But I had nobody to talk about with this. I didn't know what this was, and this continued and and continued. In fact, that's that's continued for over thirty years. This this aspect of me, although I don't check for so many hours these days, but particularly in those you know between thirteen to know my mid to late 20s yeah it was a long time and so around 15 16 i discovered alcohol and this was this turned into a really good way of coping for things for me at the time and it was a way i could socialize but also a way that i could just slow my brain slow my thoughts so that i could feel normal as well and this you know moved into relationships that you know where people or the partners that i was with would you know, we'd get together, we'd get through that honeymoon stage. And then all of a sudden they're wanting to change me. They're like, Simon, I don't like how you do this, this, and this, which was all my OCD and my depression and my anxiety. But I didn't have a name for it at the time. Yeah. And so I was doing all these things. They wanted to change me, but I felt like there was a big power struggle in the relationship where I didn't want to change. And I just wanted someone to, to love me for who I was. And it wasn't until I into my you know mid to late twenties that I found that person who's now my wife. Who, I guess, this is the first moment where I, I moved from, you know, this unknown of OCD, depression, anxiety, found my now my now wife who started to accept me for who I was, and it was her that it was. Um, My my wife, Rachel, who encouraged me to go and see a GP at 28 and say, I think, you know, you should go and talk to someone about all these things that you do and beliefs that you have. And it was around 28 that I said, you know what, you're right. I'm done living this life of unknowns, of drinking too much, of getting super anxious, of feeling down and depressed all the time, of checking so many things every single day because I'm worried about something happening. And it was at 28 that I, I I first took that mask off of mental health. And I went into a GP and I said, I think I have a mental health condition. Can someone help me? And that was, I guess, the first moment that, that led to a change in my life from survivor to thriver. Because it was the first time I just talked about what was going on. And from there, I was able to link in with a the therapist and get diagnosed. I'm like... I kind of knew I had depression and anxiety. I actually knew what these were at 28. I didn't know what they were at 18 or it's definitely not at eight. Yeah. And, but when they said OCD, I'm like, what is this OCD thing? I've never heard of it. And so they talked me through that. So if I was one of those people who knowledge is power yeah. and, and learning what the diagnosis was enabled me to go, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with. I actually aren't, I'm not just making this thing up in my head, although a lot of it is in my head, I've actually got something, a condition that I can now work on. And then through the last 11 years, it's been a process of different therapies, different approaches, medications. And, and in 2020, it also included burnout. I burnt out from mental health, I burnt out from full time work, I burnt out from becoming a dad, from studying a social work degree at the master's level and just life in general. We had COVID at the time and I burnt out from that. And it's here that I found mindfulness. And this really started to accelerate my my growth from being the survivor, this you know poor me, to being someone who goes, you know what? I have these conditions. I'm gonna start living more authentically and live my full purpose. And over the last couple of years, since I found mindfulness, since I finished my university degree, I've been able to turn that pain of 30 over 30 years into my purpose and that purpose now is providing mental health support and disability support to guys just like me and I work specifically with guys because for so long I never had a guy who I could look up to or who could be a peer mentor or could be someone to cry on on their shoulder because that just didn't exist for me so I'm now doing that for other guys and I really love it so a long story condensed very quickly, but so many moments and and for so long those moments I overlooked I didn't really reflect on them It's not until I've become forty this year and I've started to reflect on all these key moments that have shaped my life.
0: yeah um, absolutely and um, if we start with the first moment you know back when you were eight, I think it's it's very interesting now now that we know so much more about neuroscience and the brain and the subconscious, you know, those, that throwaway comment that, that kid made when you were eight, like changed the direction of your life.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I bet if you asked that kid, if they remembered, they, they probably have no memory whatsoever of it.
1: It's interesting you say that because I went to a men's retreat this year, and part of the the breath work journey that we did, and then some re- reflection that we did. One of the t- the tools that we worked on was going back to that fir- our first moments of happiness. Yeah, and remember that kid being so happy and being so carefree, and then but from eight to I'm saying I reckon between into my late twenties when I got diagnosed, there's just nothing but darkness. I don't remember. Overwhelming joy. I remember moments of joy or things that I thought were joy, Mm -hmm. but that that moment was so pivotal, and I I see it very clearly. I mean, if I walk past the kid now, I wouldn't know who it was. I don't know. I don't remember who (laughs) said it to me, but I remember that moment so well. But at the time, it was probably just a moment in time that this eight-year-old version of me brushed off. But something just clicked in my brain, like a trauma response or something. That I mean, I'm only just saying the word trauma. For the first time, and I'm 40. And and I didn't know this was trauma. This I didn't know this was a traumatic event. You think of trauma as being something that's really profound, like you know, falling out of a plane or something, you know, a big car accident. <laughs> but for me, it was just this moment where this kid said this short sentence, and I wasn't even friends with this guy either. Like I know I wasn't friends with it. This was just a kid in another classroom. I'm just like, why did I believe him so much? And and I always say I laugh about this because I use humour a lot to to look at my life and I wished I knew about silent retreats back then. I wished <laughs> I knew about monks that would go into the forest and not talk for years and years and years but then come out and start talking. I didn't know this. I didn't have a world view about what life was like out of my little bubble and that bubble was the northern suburbs of Adelaide, yeah. you know. But you,
0: you were also eight and, you know, think about – what we didn't have back then, you know, you didn't have um, the internet at your fingertips, you didn't have, you know, um, you said later, excuse me, you said later that knowledge, you know, was power, but it would have been so difficult for eight-year-old you, if you even had the, I guess, the the sense to think, oh, I'm going to look into this back then.
1: No, we had Encarta like CDs where you'd, you'd put it into a, a computer that took half an hour to load up and it would give you some information or you had 20 Encycl- books of... We
0: had, we had encyclopedias. I was going
1: to say that. We had 20 books of encyclopedias and mental health, I dare say, was not going to be one of the things in the book that had M on it.
0: Definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. Um, and then, you know, I guess later on after your parents separated, um, and, you know, the whole man of the house situation. Because I, I feel um, certainly with uh, my friends all, who are of a similar age to you, um, and I guess that generation, that many of them have the same kind of aspect that they, they were raised by, you know, like you need to be the man of the house, you need to do this, you need to do that. And um, I guess those gender stereotypes kind of started, like started kicking in you know in the teenage years so you know act like a man be the man of the house and are you seeing a change now with the people that you work the the men that you work with
1: absolutely because at that time we were just talking about it, you didn't have smartphones didn't have yeah. internet mm-hmm. so what was influencing that for me the northern suburbs of adelaide so anyone who hasn't been there it is slower socioeconomic there's trades there's people on welfare there's people unemployed. It's social housing. It's it's not exactly a wealthy area, and so the influences were my footy coaches. It was my dad and my three brothers. It was Die Hard, The Terminator, <laughs> Rambo. These are the movies that were on at the time. Yes. I watched. I watched wrestling, which you know I've now come to since understand that it's not entirely real, but as a kid, <laughs> that was really real for me. And so these people, particularly around the, the stuff I'm watching on TV. You look at the terminator rambo die hard the main character is a male who walks through you know walls of fire and and or gets shot or gets stabbed and keeps going and he and he doesn't cry he just sucks it up and he bees a man so this is the influence for me back then and i had also my you know my dad never talked about stuff he bottled everything up he, when him and mum would have arguments he would just zip it up he wouldn't say anything and so know it's also influenced by my friends and so they're they're watching the same things on tv or listening to the same music and so with the guys that i work with now this is this stuff's coming up particularly the dads who and i'm a dad too we we look at how we were raised and our parents did the best with what they had at the time with the knowledge they had at the time with those encyclopedias that might be the (laughs) entire their their knowledge or what they learned from their parents yeah but you know, we look at that and go, we don't want to be those parents. We want to be the dads now, for example, who sit with their son and talk about our emotions and feelings and go, how was your day? Why are you upset? And if you are, it's not about sucking it up and being a boy or being a man. It's about let me help you work through this. And so this is what we're saying It is a change, a shift in the guys that I work with. But also myself, I look at my son and go, you know what? I don't want you to, at eight years old, to start this mental health journey. I want to nip this in the bud now, so that you can live life to the fullest, and not be silenced for twenty years like I was.
0: Um, And I feel like there's also lots more, um, I guess, positive male role models out there now that are talking about, you know, their their battles with addiction, their you know, um, their lives, and and what has what has happened to them and what's shaped them into the people that they are. So.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a challenge as well, I feel, like, at the moment. So we've got social media and you see a lot of positive male role models getting on there and sharing their story. And And I take heart from, you know, I've had a few footballers on my podcast, the Mindful Men podcast, and they're at the AFL level and the NRL level, and they're saying, you know, they, they're taking a break for mental health reasons as opposed to if they get injured. Like the norm is that if they get physically injured, the news will, will report on it and they'll, they'll follow the progress back until that player comes back on and everyone cheers. But from a mental health perspective, it's still very much hush-hush in those elite sports. And so there's a few guys coming out now. We've had a few like Buddy Franklin and for the Sydney Swans more in the last few years actually saying, I'm going to take a break for my mental health. In fact, he missed a grand final to do that. Um, so th- when guys look up to these these sports people, or, or maybe they're from TV or something like that, and they can see, oh, you know what? If they're doing it, maybe I can do it too. That's really positive. The flip side of that is the toxic masculinity that we see on social media as well. And we're seeing the government trying to curtail this with some bit of um, funding at the moment to to target school kids and, and teach them about what it means to be a healthy, masculine, you know, healthy masculinity. What it means that what if you're toxic, and what that means to the relationships that you have with other people. So you look at you know, you the relationship with yourself with your mates, with your girlfriends, or boyfriends, or whatever it is. Yeah. So there's a real, a real, I think, a bit of a tug of war going on at the moment between what we see on social media, because once we all know, once we we look at something, then it just feeds into our feed more yeah. of the same. But there is also some guys starting to come out and say, you know what, I'm struggling with mental health or i'm struggling with relationship issues or i'm struggling with addiction addiction is probably one of my last taboo topics that i'm talking about my own alcohol use as well for a long time i didn't want to see myself as someone who had alcohol issues Mm you know i looked at that stereotype of you know the homeless guy who's sitting on a park bench with a brown paper bag and that's certainly not me i've got a business i've got a small family i've you know live in a house and all this type of stuff but i didn't associate with that stereotype but there's a whole bunch of other people who live a life like me who still struggle with that ad- addiction whether it's alcohol whether it's sex whether it's gambling whether it's drugs and these are some of the guys that i'm working with as well and, and what we do is we challenge this notion of what it means to be a man in 2023 and compare it to the past but also think about the future Where, what kind of men do we want to be in the future what kind of boys do we want to raise in the next 5 10 15 years
0: Definitely. And and now tell me about your mindfulness journey.
1: Yeah, I laugh because it's not a smooth thing. And I am the mi- yeah. I am mindful oh. men. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's I love it. But when I first got introduced, so in 2020, I burnt out. And I'd never heard this term burnout before. I thought it was a bit of a cop out. You didn't want to show up for work and do work. Until I experienced it and I had to take four months off of work and I was a couch potato. I couldn't function from a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual you know, point of view, like I was a spud. That's, that's how I refer to myself. And I discovered mindfulness through this therapy process to get back from burnout. And it started off with my therapist who was a me- accredited mental health social worker. And I, I chose them because they, I understood the language. I'd been to psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists before but just it didn't really gel, but social workers already gel with. But she she introduced me this therapist to mindfulness. And it started off with you know, pick three things you're, you're grateful for today and do a bit of a journal and do a bit of a meditation. And I'm thinking, I'm a grown man. These are not things that men do, right? Like it sounds a bit hippie. It I don't want to bit...
0: write in my diary.
1: Yes, I, I did buy a diary <laughs> from Kava, and it said my diary or something like that. And I tried it for three, I tried it for a week or two. And I'm just like, no, this feels like homework. It doesn't feel like I'm getting better mentally. And the reason it didn't work for me is because I probably placed some stigma on it. I thought, Mm -hmm. this is not something that I'm gelling with. It's not something that's masculine. I don't want to be sitting there with my journal and, and, and all this type of stuff. But as I progressed through the recovery, you know, from burnout, I started to tweak it a little bit. And it wasn't so much three things that I'm grateful for. It was look at my day, break it down into hourly slots, and just three things that actually gave me joy mm-hmm. during that day. And the reason I did that is because when you experience burnout, joy gets sucked out of your life. You do not feel joy. You're, you're cynical. Well, this, is, this was my experience. I was very cynical. I was very d- depressed at the time. There was no joy. I had lost the ability to have fun. And so breaking my day down into these hourly slots and picking the most smallest things, like a cup of coffee or going for a walk, or even just not feeling like a spud for an hour, you know, these things, I started to go, you know what, I'm grateful for these things. Because before it was, oh, I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for having a job. I'm grateful for having a wife and kids. And it would just get regurgitated every day. And like, that's, that's not gratitude for me. So once I started tweaking it, and then I discovered, I I developed, I don't think I discovered it, but I developed this, this program for myself and I wasn't a therapist at the stage where I I called it mindfulness on the move. So I'd go for a walk every day. That was one of my big things. I needed to go for a walk every day. And what I would do is I'd use my five senses. So everyone who's done mindfulness knows if you use your five senses to ground yourself, it's really helpful. So i'd go for a walk and my brain would be going this place that place you know and that's the anxiety and ocd you know they're coming again but i would look at look at trees and just watch them as they swayed on the wind and this sounds very woo-woo and i'm a guy i know i know this guys (laughs) if you are listening but it does work for me it did work for me and you know i would watch the clouds go past i'd actually stop and appreciate that or (laughs) If the wind touched my skin, I'd, I'd feel that and I'd really tune into that feel. Or if I'm having a cup of coffee at a cafe, I'd really you know, think about the warmth as it goes down my, into my belly or the smell or things like that. And that was really important because at the same time I was discovering that my kids were talking to me often every day, but I'd been on a different planet. And so being able to ground myself with these five senses allowed me to come back into their lives and be the present dad that I wanted to be. And so this is where it started. Things started to lose little light bulb moments going, you know what, guys can do mindfulness and I can do this stuff and nobody has to see it. Yeah. Nobody knows I'm doing it when I'm walking down the street or if I'm driving in the car and I'm tuning into my mindfulness. Yep. Nobody knows if I'm doing box breathing and trying to regulate my emotions that way. People know if I'm walking around with my journal... <laughs> <laughs> and say, look at this dude doing his journal. And nothing against journals. In fact, every now and, yeah. and then I feel the need to journal. And that's that's okay. But I found different ways for me that worked. And that really lit this fire. I'm like, okay, I like this mindfulness now. I found something that works for me. And I like I liked it so much that it became my foundational therapy practice. So I use acceptance and commitment therapy because it, it extends beyond just, you know, breathing or grounding ourselves into personal values and so i started listening to podcasts and people talking about values i'm like what is this values talk that they're talking about and then i started reading up a bit more about acceptance and commitment therapy and i'm like oh my gosh there's like this whole area of values and it's about identifying our values and how can we use those values to live every day or to make decisions and I've moved that into the work I do now with Mindful Men because the guys have never done that kind of work, but you see it, their eyes light up when they're talking about values because they're not talking about their deep and meaningfuls, but values, yeah, I, they can dig that. Yeah. And so we, we, we navigate through these mental health challenges or disability challenges or just life challenges with what I call the moral compass, a new moral compass, which allows us to switch off of autopilot because we can tune into how am I living by my value today? And that one for me, one of them, is I have it on my wall next to me, is wellness. And wellness encaptures my mental health and my physical health as well. So if I'm going for a walk one day or if I'm going to see a therapist or maybe I'm just having a good chat with somebody, maybe I'm doing this podcast and I'm talking about mental health, this ticks off my wellness value and I ended up the day feeling really good. So I don't need to journal about it because I know I'm doing it um, you know, subconsciously now.
0: Um, yeah, and you definitely touched on a lot of stuff there with, you know, finding what works for you because there is no one size fits all. And, you know, everyone's healing journey is so different. And um, everyone finds medicine in different things. So for me, I've been a journaler all my life. So for me, that's, that's very therapeutic.
1: I had this great quote from someone who's on my, my podcast as well. And they said, so I mean, if you spend so much think- time thinking in the past, at least to things like depression, shame, guilt, regret, all these things, yeah. if you spend too much time living in the future, it's anxiety, it's stress anxiety. provoking. Yeah. But if we can live in that moment, we can just appreciate life for what it is, like that cup of coffee, or like your kids kicking a, a goal at soccer, or whatever the, whatever's going on, or that therapy session when you're in with somebody, and they're telling you something that they have never told anybody else, which happens to me every week, every day of every week. And i like, I can really appreciate that now. I'm no longer trying to chase the past or the future. I'm, I'm just happy being in the moment. Yeah.
0: And how's that changed your relationships?
1: Well, with my kids, yeah, it's a work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is a work in progress because I know like I'm a lived experience therapist. So I'm not, I don't, I don't say ever say I'm healed. I just say I'm working on myself, and so um,
0: I don't think there's any there's such a thing as healed. I feel no. that Well, certainly for me, I feel like anytime you think that that you've healed, um, something comes into your life to <laughs> test that. So I feel like you just you're just constantly healing.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and
0: I, I'm guessing kids are probably like one of the biggest tests.
1: Absolutely, because they will keep you accountable every <laughs> yes. single day, and so. Yeah. there's days where I completely balls it up and and which sucks for me as a as a therapist because I know better, but when we have life outside of the therapy clinic like i I, I stuff up i 'm not the best parent in the world, but what I can do through mindfulness and what I is just recognize that recognize i 'm having an off day and just start from there and, and not wait until tomorrow to start to be better tomorrow it's just like okay I'm drawing a line in the sand now, that phone is going away for example, from doom scrolling. Or if I'm on the computer too many times and they're coming in the door and saying, daddy, 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 can you do this? That's that, that reassurance or recognition that I, okay, I'm working too much. I need to go and spend time with the kids. And so they're really good. But also that it's the relationship with myself. that's the most important because if I'm not tuning into how I'm going I can't fill my cup and then I can't serve other people. And for so long, I didn't, I wasn't in tune with that. I was on that autopilot. I didn't know what was going on and it was hurting relationships. Yeah. And so particularly with my wife as well, she's the same as the kids. Like if I'm not listening to her, she doesn't like it and she gets angry with me and, and we have a fight. So if I'm recognizing that we're having these arguments more often, it's maybe that I'm not being grounded enough or I'm not being reflective enough or I'm not being mindful enough of people outside of my own body, because that's mindfulness as well. It's not just how we're going, even though I just said it starts with us. But it's also about reflecting on how other people are going around us and having those right systems and structures in place to allow everybody to thrive. It's not just about us. It's about everybody in our units, everybody in the community, everyone as a whole. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And um, do you do your kids do any mindfulness practices? Or have you shared any of those things with them?
1: Um, not specifically with them because I don't like to therapy them. Um, yeah. I know that they, they do a bit of stuff at school. You hear every now and then you hear them come home and they say something like, "Oh, where did you learn that?" And they and they they learn it from either school or I've got a, one one child in childcare, so they actually bring some of that stuff into there, which is really cool. And I wish That's I had right. that you know in mine. And and one of the examples is yoga. They they come home and they've done yoga or something like that, and. Yoga is something that I've dabbled in. It's one of the things that I thought was initially woo-woo and and <laughs> stuff like that. But I when I was recovering from burnout, I went to a men's yoga. And the whole idea was well, that and I was on a stiff wooden plank at the best of times, but it was just guys. They they'd taken out of the the humming and and all the 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 incense. It was just really basic men's yoga and and I found through movement and breathing, and I was able to focus in on just what I was doing for that hour. And that was really cool. And so hearing my kids come home and say, oh, dad, we did yoga today. And, and, we, and that was really cool. And so they, they showed me some of the moves, particularly my three-year-old daughter. She loves showing me the moves that they do. Um, but outside of that, they're on really on board with mindful men. So they've got a mindful men t-shirt that they walk around in, which is really cool. I've got stickers on the car, so they're always talking about mindful men and so it's just it's a conversation that we're having from from a young age. and I tell them they say, Dad, what is mindful men I say, well, I help people that are struggling with their mental health or I help people with disability. And so just planting these seeds that they won't understand fully yet. But as they grow older, they'll know that it's okay to be not okay, or it's okay to ask for help, or it's okay to be in therapy, because they're going to see their dad doing this day in day out.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's really amazing, and I guess you know the, the subtle influences into their lives is um, you know will make all the difference. I think yeah, it would have been great back when we were at school.
1: I think uh, getting meditation into a northern suburbs of school in Adelaide, it would be a really hard thing to do. But yes, I agree. If, if we had more of that yeah. nurturing growing up, even at the school level, even at school, I was hearing this from teachers. I you know, suck it up. You're a man. Just, you know, this is what boys do. Yeah. Um, if we had more of that, I think things would be a lot different for a lot of people, a lot of guys out there and me included. But people in general is this is not just a men's we talked a bit about men's mental health today, but mental health is for everybody.
0: Absolutely.
1: And so it's not just stereotypes about what it means to be a man, but what it means to be a girl yeah. or someone who's non-binary as well. Like all yeah. these expectations that society mm-hmm. puts on us because they think that, you know, when we're kids, we've got to learn, then we've got to get out and we've got to have jobs and we've got to be productive and have kids or whatever it is. Yeah. But like no, the world is so much full of different alternatives to what we are trained to believe from a very young age so
0: and choice choice we have choice you know and i feel like as we are raised we are funneled down certain aspects as opposed to saying well right now you have the choice to do this or this um and i think it's only after we kind of leave school even in school you know you've got a few subjects to choose from, but also, you know, what are those subjects, (laughs) you know, French and Japanese that you'll never use again for the rest of your life? Yeah. Um, You know, but I think, yeah, choice. I think choice is really important and being able to make choices to, to live authentically and, you know, as you said earlier, you know, taking, like, getting to a point where you can make choices and make that choice to to take the mask off, as you said, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that takes me back to when I was studying social work and I had to do a placement in a high school. And I remember sitting down, it was like the year 10s, we're, we're doing some career planning or something, and this was going to feed into what subjects they're going to pick for their final few years of high school. And I remember some the, te- the principal sitting down with these, these students and I was sitting on the ground as a social worker in training. And he said, you can put anything in these books about what career choices you were, but don't put in that you want to be a footy player. Don't put in that you want to be an Olympic star. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, well, actually in, in 2021, I think this was, or 2020, when I was doing this, these are viable professional careers. It's the same with video games. This is an interesting one in, in the therapy space and I hear a lot of, you know, I get a lot of referrals from saying, please save my son, he's a video game addict, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, video games allow problem solving and I say this because I was a video gamer, <laughs> <laughs> but they allowed socialisation. You know, some kids who can't talk to someone in the classroom but can get online, play a game and talk to someone from across the world mm-hmm. because they, they, they don't have that face-to-face thing you see a lot of that in autism for example is there are these viable alternatives these viable alternative choices that we people can make we don't have to finish school and go into career mode we can travel we can discover what we want to do and in fact the younger generations are taking longer to discover what they want to do and that's okay and i I say to the people that are coming out of high school that i work with is like do you know what you want to do? No. I'm like, good. Cause I didn't know what I want to do at the end of high school. So go and just live, find a casual yeah. job or travel or don't do anything. Just stay at home and bum off mum and dad. Like that's cool. Like just discover stuff, like go and be inquisitive of the world because once we do that again, we're switching off autopilot. We're told to do this, this, that, and something else. We can start to learn for ourselves. We can have that knowledge through self-discovery and, and, and that can take us to a place where we don't end up in a 9 to 5 that we absolutely hate or a trade that we hate or for for guys it ends up a lot worse in some cases.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so now that what's life like for you now?
1: Now it is a mix of everything that we've talked about. So <laughs> it it is certainly the last few months has been really pivotal in my growth and and for I said I've used the term from survivor to thriver, and for a long time, even until my late 30s, I was survival mode. It was, I've got these can. Well, for the first, you know, 20 years, it was I've got this thing. I don't know what it is. I'm just surviving to get through. And there was multiple periods of things like suicidal ideation where I wanted it all to end. Then, as I became a, a, you know, into my adult years and I got diagnosed, I was still in survivor mode. I was still trying to figure out what was going on, even though I was on a path to healing. I was still falling down, stumbling, you know, breaking up my nose, everything. I was face-planting it into life. But it was more the last couple of years, and I thank social work for this, that gives gave me this ability to start to reflect on the world, but also me in the world as well. And then mindfulness just added some fuel to that fire as well. So I can really start to look at, okay, what masks am I wearing? What does it mean for a man? Why do men struggle to talk about this type of stuff? So reflecting inwards and going, you know, Why did I struggle? Maybe it's because of how how I was raised. Maybe it's a relationship with my dad. Maybe it's the the influences at school. Maybe it's not having the words for mental health conditions. Maybe it's all these types of things rolled into one. And this year, it's really switched. I've really started saying thrive instead of survive. And the reason I'm doing that is because I'm a year into a business, a therapy business that I never knew I was going to have. I always kind of wanted to work in mental health but again i didn't know how to do that didn't have top-notch grades didn't go to a good school i barely got into university in fact i got bonus points to go to university because of where i came from you know the lower socioeconomic you get bonus points to go into uni or they did at the time and i've been on this round about kind of trajectory in life i fell into a career that i didn't really love but it was a job i felt like i needed a white-collar job so i got one after uni um but it was switching off of that stuff getting to social work mindfulness that i started to go you know what i can do more with life i don't have to go to a nine to five i can actually create a life by design and so this year particularly or oh, last year i started mindful men the therapy practice i moved from my old career into that not knowing how to do business not know you know a very junior social worker in the scheme of things but knowing i have my lived experience that i can use to design a therapy practice, which is outside of a clinic. So I didn't want to sit there, do six sessions a day. I wanted to take guys out into community and build community with them side by side because that works for guys. And a year on from that business, I'm doing it. Like I replaced that old income that I was petrified of not being able to do. And I've replaced that old income. And now I'm looking to employ people and I've stopped drinking. So when I turned 40, that was the last time I drank. And that was in August this year. So I'm now several months, dry and I'm actually feeling really good. Like I'm, I'm feeling less anxious, I'm feeling less depressed. I'm putting myself out there more to build new friendships with guys that I've never done before. Um, I'm happier at home and more grounded at home. And it's because I'm switching from this survivor to thriver mindset. i mindset. I'm looking at my values and going, how do I live by my values every day? How do I bring values into my clinic space, into my therapy space? but also challenging what it means to be a therapist as well. Not being afraid to be a lived experience therapist and share my story, which so many therapists struggle with because they don't want to be seen as broken. They're meant to be there to fix you. But I'm like, nah, I'm broken, I'm messy, <laughs> and I'll still try to fix or help you to get you fix yourself, but I've got no magical wand. We're not going to get to a, you know, an oasis moment where everything's just perfect. Yeah. It's going to be a work in progress, and I'm going to show you The tools that i've learned in my own therapy and the ones that i've learned at university as well yeah and how they can work so it is gone from survivor to thriver and and really not being embarrassed by the pain but using that pain now for the purpose that i have
0: and so tell us about the podcast
1: yeah the podcast so the mindful men podcast it was one of those me taking off the mask moments. so it came out of burnout and I felt this overwhelming need to share my story with the hope that it inspires other guys to share their stories. And so I just started recording just like we are today. I just started recording yeah. my story and it started with men's mental health and OCD and burnout, depression, what it was like to live with these things. And then I started getting guests on and now we're a hundred episodes in and it's a growing podcast all over the world on, you know, pod- on Spotify, Apple, it's on YouTube. And I just love sharing the stories, not of myself, but also the people that I come in, into their lives as well. And and together, I'm a big, firm believer that when we share stories, we empower each other to to have our own light bulb moments. And, Absolutely. And maybe for someone else, it's not 20 years of suffering in silence. It might be a lot quicker because they say, oh, Simon's talking about OCD. Yeah. I do all these checking behaviours. Maybe I'm going to go talk to someone now because I don't want to end up like him.
0: <laughs> I think something that I... I think is pretty amazing is the initial fear you had about losing your voice. Uh, you've now spun that around and you are now using your voice. Um, I, I just spread the word. I think that's that's pretty amazing.
1: Absolutely, and and it, it is in everything I do. So I'm not afraid, even in the therapy clinic, if a guy says, Tom, do you know what it feels like to feel this anxious? I'm like, well, yeah, I do. I'm using this voice to show, you know what, I'm the same. In all my social media, I do the same. If I can't do it, then that doesn't empower other guys to do it. And so the podcast is is just another way to use the voice and to share. And and I share these things because when we say it out loud, for me to say, you know, I felt like I was going to lose my voice. I started humming that. I laugh at this. I feel like that's a very silly thing when you say it out loud. But when I was doing it, it felt so real. Yeah. And so when when and I can to share old,
0: to eight year old Simon, yeah. you know, it was it was, you know, we're also like, we, we get told, uh if the wind changes, your face is going to stay like that. Yes,
1: glad I didn't. Glad I didn't take on to that one. <laughs> so-, yeah.
0: so you know, so and as as kids, we believe what what people tell us. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 don't know any better.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> I am glad I didn't take on to that one, but it's. <laughs> it's just, it's nice to have a voice. And like, this is part of that thriving thing is using the voice to inspire other people to share their stories, because it's through that sharing that we plant seeds, and it might not be tomorrow, it might not be today, it might be next week or next year or next decade or whatever it is. But yeah. Someone out there might listen to this and go, you know what, yeah. it's time, it's time for me to start sorting this stuff out. And knowing that they're not alone, Mm-hmm. OCD, an interesting fact about ocd is often called a silent condition or a silent disorder because it takes an average from first symptom to first treatment around 15 years wow. because people feel so much shame and stigma associated for me it was 20 years and even then i didn't get treatment for ocd until probably another 10 years later because every therapist would try and treat treat the depression and anxiety but not the ocds so i had to source that out for myself yeah. Yeah sharing an ocd story like this one that i laugh at now like i laugh at all my ocd because it sounds silly to me and it's and i say it's stupid other people might go oh no simon it's really serious i'm like yeah it was serious humor is my way of talking about it and sharing that story and it's okay you know i've been so serious for so long it's time to liven up and start thriving Um,
0: if you could be remembered by one word what would it be
1: one i struggle with this cuz i talk a lot uh one <laughs> <laughs> one word i um, always i
0: always tell people to 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 you go with the one that came to their mind first
1: yeah i'm going to pick grounded
0: okay amazing
1: cuz it's been so important the last couple of years to be grounded to be present with the kids um and my wife as well and everything i do now so grounded is my word
0: amazing amazing um, so is there any advice that you would give to, um, you know, someone listening that might, you know, might be struggling with their mental health or, um, you know, OCD or, you know, anxiety, depression, is there any, you know, kind of advice that you can give, you would give them?
1: Oh, I can give them lots of advice. <laughs> they can come in to see me at my private practice. But what I, I heard this, this quote when I was doing my social work study, from Tony Robbins, and I've always loved it. It's like pain, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so this is that turning from survivor to thriver. It's it's that moment where you go, you know what? I'm done living like this. I'm done drinking too much. or I'm done beating up on my wife and kids. Or I'm done just being angry and bitter with the world. Or I'm done I'm done being in this job that I hate for the last ten years. I'm done studying and I have no idea why I'm studying medicine or, and I want to be an artist or whatever it is, it doesn't have to be mental health, it can be anything. If we if we don't change, then what's the point? We just end up bitter twisted and, and we in a place of hurt and pain. Yeah. So I often and then,
0: and then we put that hurt and pain onto other people as well.
1: Absolutely in what we do. And so by just making change, making positive change, and it doesn't happen to have, happen have to happen all at once. Yeah. So small baby steps every single day. We can live a life by design. We can design what we want to do, where we want to go, who we want to be, who we want to hang out with. Um, but it all starts with a little bit of a light bulb moment. And so, hopefully, today we've given someone yeah. out there a light bulb moment for themselves.
0: I hope so too. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure we have. Um, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story um, being so open and honest. Um, it, I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. It's thanks so for having great. me on. I really enjoyed coming on and having this chat with you today.
0: Amazing. Thanks so much, Simon. <laughs> I'm going to put um, all your details in the show notes so people can find your podcast yep. and um, your Instagram and things like that. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much for listening I hope today's conversation inspires and empowers you to know that no matter your current situation, your life can change too. All it takes is a moment. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share it with a friend. If you would like to share your own moment, see the link in the show notes. Until next time, be present in each moment because you never know when your moment will arrive or when you have the gift of being a moment for someone else. Take care.